Let's begin the way we began last week. So what do you really want? Or what do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? And this is a tricky question uh, we said last week because whatever, whatever comes to mind when I say what, what do you want or even what do you really want, what comes to mind is, is paralleled and with some other things that we talked about last week. I'll tell you one thing that you really want. You'll want your way. I want my way. We want to do what we want to do, and we want, to, we want what we want now. Now. So on one hand, I say, what do you really want? And you come up with something good, or, or, or what, uh, what do you want? You come up with something pretty good, but, but running in the background of your mind that drives a lot of our, our want to decision is, is we want our way. And we want to do what we want to do, and we want to do what we want to do now. As we said last week, the problem is this. We always get our way. We lose our way. Amen. And as we said last week, the problem is this. If we always get our way, we oftentimes get in the way of ourselves. We get in our, in our own way. And we, we also said that if we always do what we want to do, we end up where we don't want to be. And last week, I gave you that, that stellar parenting advice about what to say when your kids say, hey, do I have to? It's probably the worst advice I've ever gave, but it wasn't even advice. It's just how someone parented through that question. Do I have to? Do I have to? And we said, no, adults have to do, do anything. But for an adult who doesn't want to do what they're supposed to do, we keep them from doing other things. And this is true for all of us. That if you always do what you want to do, you will end up in a place you do not want to be. So this, this, this whole what to do, I really, what to do I, I, that I want, it's really tricky. And the third thing we said is this, if we, if we get whatever we want now, we may not get what we really want later. And all of us, all of us have experienced this. All of us has undermined our own future, undermined our own hopes and dreams, because we got what we want, and we got what we wanted now, and, and now we wish, we wish we could go back and not get what we wanted. Because what we got kept us from getting to where we ultimately want to be. And then we dove in and dove in a little deeper and we said that, that lurking in the shadows, and this is where we're going to go, lurking in the shadows of what we want and what we value. That lurking in the shadows, and the reason why I say lurking in the shadows is that there's very little in culture. There's very little in media. There's, there's, there are very few relationships that will focus your attention on, on what is really important, what you value. And that's what a value is. A value is what's important. And, and that lurking in the shadows, lurking in the shadows around the periphery of what I want, and what I want now, or what I, I want my way, and this is what I want today. This is who I want to date. This is my job I want. This is what I want to purchase. This is where I want to live. This is what I want my wife to act like. <laughs> I stopped there because I thought about that. I'm going, yeah, I want her to go to the doctor. This is what my husband to act like. This is what I want my kids to act like. And this is what I want my parents not to know about. Right, Matthew? <laughs> All those wants and lurking in the periphery are things that we actually value. 
For example, relationally, if I were to say, what do you want relationally? You could tell me, well, I want to get married. Okay, but what do you value? What's behind I want to get married? Well, I want to date. Well, that's great. You should want to date, but what's behind that? What do you really want relationally? What do you really want financially? Well, well I want to be rich. Don't we all? I don't know if I want to or not. Well, good. I hope you're rich. And what do you want really want financially? And lurking outside in our peripheral vision, outside of that, lurking in the shadows are our values that we rarely ever stop and think about because it goes deeper than that. What kind of person do you want to be? And we're going to talk about this next week. What about your character? What kind of person do you want to be? You know, you know what you want. You know what your relationships are going to be like, you hope. You got some goals financially, but who do you want to be? For the longest time, I thought about it personally. You know, I still haven't figured out what I want to be when I grow up. I mean, that's a, that's a value question, and here's a big word we, we, we rarely, rarely talk about, and that is, what about your legacy? And when I hear legacy, I think, oh, after I die, but, but who cares after I die because I'm dead? Okay, but it's not that kind of a legacy. If you're a student, if you're a student, Matthew, did you know that when you graduate from high school, they will either have good things to say about you, bad things to say about you, or nothing to say about you? But what's your legacy going to be in school? What do you want your legacy to be? Dad, Mom, when your kids leave home, what do you want them to say about the home they left? That's legacy. When you leave your current job, when you go to another because you retired or maybe you'll be let go or, or reduced down to four hours a week. Huh. What, what do you want said about you once you leave? They'll say good things, bad things, no things. That's your legacy. These are the kind of deeper issues, the value questions that should drive us past our surface want. How to get what you really want. And here's where we landed last week. We said this, and, and, and this is so true. We will never get what we really want until we discover what we really value. And this is what we're going to be, be doing. And we're really going to dive deep into this this week. And here's why, because unless somebody fastens your attention on what you really value, you probably will not slow down enough to discover what it is. And no one can answer this question except for you. There's no preacher, there's no teacher, there's no book. No one can answer the question for you. What do you really value? And But you'll never get what you really want until you discover for yourself what you actually value. Here's the, here's the interesting thing, and here's the good news. Regardless of what you think about God, and regardless of what you think about Christianity, this is true for you. It's not a religious, religious thing. It's just a thing thing. As a Christian, I think God created us to operate this way, but whether you believe it or not, until you discover what you value, you will never get what you really, really want. Now, as Jesus followers, we take this step one step further because we believe there's a God who has invited us to call him Father. And he's invited us to call him Father and and. and and that made me think of 
back when I was in Germany. It was not until I actually forgave my own father, my earthly father, was I able to call God my father. Because my dad was an alcoholic, he had nothing to do with me. And it was, it was such a blessing for me to be able to do that. To forgive my dad for all the things that he did or didn't do. To be able to call him, to be able to call him my father. You know, and, and God, well, we believe that, that, that he sent his son into the world. And the fabulous thing about, about Jesus is that Jesus consistently pointed to value instead of want. And Jesus consistently pointed his audience past what they initially want to what they would ultimately want from the initial to the ultimate. To what's right in front of me, to what's beyond what's right in front of me. And so what we believe as Christians is this, that we will never get what we want, that we will never get what we really want until we discover what is most valuable. And we believe that Jesus points the way, but even if you're not willing to stretch that far, you really need to figure out how to discover what is most valuable to you. Now, having said that, and this should be easy, right? We do a little exercise. We, we, we do a little reading. We do a little thinking. We write a few things down, and we discover what's most valuable to us, and then we just go right from there, right? And next week, I'm going to give you an exercise to work through. And if you have a bad back, you know, no, I'm kidding. It's not that kind of exercise. I'll tell you a story about how I stumbled into this many years ago. I don't think I've ever told this story before. Not because it's private, but I just never have thought about sharing it before. And so I'm going to give you some super practical things to do. But here's what I want to focus on today because this is so important. The problem is this. Valuable and choosing what's valuable is, is not natural. It's unnatural. Choosing valuable is unnatural. The reason this is difficult isn't because you lack discipline. The, the, the reason this is difficult is not simply because you lack information. This isn't resolved with new information and better discipline. What this is about is something much, much deeper. There's an internal conflict that all of us have experienced. And we're going to talk about it. Because all of us, all of us have ex this experience. This is an internal conflict between what comes natural and what we really value. And most people are never able to break through the natural to embrace the valuable. But when they do, everything in their life changes. And I, and I sincerely want that for you. And I think ultimately you want that for you, but it's, it's not an easy battle to win. In fact, I think the person to describe the battle best is actually one of the New Testament authors. In fact, he wrote over half of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. He hated Christians. He was a, a good, law-keeping Jewish man, hated Christians, tried to put the church out of business in the first century, and then he became a Jesus follower. He wrote a bunch of letters to churches he planted, but one of his letters, he wrote to a group of Christians that he had never, he never visited before, to a city that we don't know if he's ever been there before. He wrote to Christians living in Rome. Now, if you're a Christian living in Rome in the first century, it's not a safe place to be. And what's so fascinating is by the late 40s A.D., 45, 46, 48, 50 A.D., there were hundreds of Christians already in the city of Rome, which is which is fascinating. So there are a whole bunch of house churches, maybe a dozen to 15 house churches there in Rome. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter to these Christians living in Rome. And in this letter, 
this part of the letter, he describes this conflict that, that conflict that all of us wrestle with, and he puts it in terms we can all understand. Is your arm okay? In fact, the first verse I'm going to put out here, the first part of the first verse, for some of you, this could be what we call a life verse. Do you know what a life verse is? This is one of those goofy things Christians do. Somebody says, what's your life verse? And people pick one verse out of the Bible and they say, well, this is my life verse. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. It's just a hard question to answer. So if you don't have a life verse and you'd like to have an answer to the question, what's your life verse? I'm about to give it to you. Because I promise you, to some extent, this is your life. You ready? Here's what the Apostle says. I do not understand what I do. That's, <laughs> you know, that's it. You just need to put that in your mirror. Engrave it in a plaque, put it in the foyer in the house. People walk in, ah, I do not understand what I do. Romans 7.15. That's interesting. This is my life verse. I do not understand what I do. That's an amazing thing. In fact, if you don't like the Bible, you like this part of the Bible because you can relate to it. You know, this part's true. Every single one of us could stand up right now and tell a story. We don't have to go back days and days about something that we did, and then after we did it, we looked ourselves in the mirror and said to ourselves, I'm not, I understand, I'm not saying it to you. But you said to yourself, you idiot. You idiot. Why did you do that? Why did, why did you sleep in? Why did you call her? Why did you say yes? Why did you agree? Why did you do that again? Why did you buy some more of those? I do not understand what I do. Now we're going to look at this. And just, just think about that thought. Why don't you do what, what you want to do? What is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? That's the point of today's message. There's a conflict between what you value and your human nature. It's a big deal. Does not just get more information and more discipline and, and I'll be fine. It's deeper than that. And the Apostle Paul, here's what he says. I do not understand what I do. Oh, we got you, Paul. For what I want to do. There's our word, how, how to get what you really want. For what I want to do, what I really want to do, I do not do. Well, Paul, well, do, do what you want to do and stop. I mean, I mean, this is easy. You know what you want to do, we'll do it. For I know what I want to do, but I do not do it, and I do not do Anyway. Imagine, imagine, I wonder how many times he wrote this before he even get it straight. Uh, for I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now again, this is so transparent. You know what he's saying? He's saying, there's something that I really want. I know what I really want, but I settle for something less than that. And then I ended up, and this is a strong word, hating it. Let me just say something to a few of you, and just be honest. Some of you right now, if you're honest, you hate yourself. And you hate yourself because of what, what yourself has done, and you were there the entire time. And you'd like to blame your mama. You'd like to blame Gordon, which I do. You'd like to blame your wife. You'd like to blame the whole world, and, and we all want to blame, but right now you kind of hate yourself that you, that you need to pay attention. Paul says, you know what? I understand that. 
Because if I continue to do what I don't want to do after a while, I'll hate what I do. And hating what I do is just about a half an inch away from hating who I see in the mirror. Maybe that's where you are right now. You understand, this, this is a big deal. It's a wrestling match. This is an everyday thing. This is an everyday, maybe, maybe every hour struggle. And you'd say, well, I don't know why I do what I do. And he goes on, he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Or that the law is it's good, or I agree that the law is good. Now, here's what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish man. As I said, he's a Pharisee, and he was a really good Pharisee. Which meant he was a really good law keeper. In fact, Paul said of all the people who were trying to keep the Jewish laws, and it was a very complicated law, and of all the people keeping the Jewish law, Paul would say, I was one of the best. This is before he was a Christian. In fact, I think the struggle he's describing here was his struggle before he became a Jesus follower. But he wasn't a bad person before he started following Jesus. In fact, his problem was he was so ridiculously good. He was one, he was one of the goodest people around. But here's what he's saying. As hard as I try to be good, and as much as I was committed to the law of God, I just couldn't pull it off as hard as I tried. I knew what I really wanted, I just, I just couldn't do it. Now when we think about the law, we're not just thinking about the Jewish law, but let's just make it easy for all of us. It's, it's just the general sense of right and wrong that you live with every single day. And if you're not sure you want to commit what you know is right, you know, you know you want the people around you to commit to do what's right, don't you? So you know right from wrong, hopefully. And you're committed to do right, and you want to be a good person, and you want to have better relationships, and you want to save more money, and you want to take better care of your body, and you want to be a good person on your side, and you want to be rich, you want a deep character, you want to leave a great legacy wherever you go, so you know what you want, but you just can't do it. So he goes on, he says, For, for I have the desire... I have the want. It's in me to want to. I have the desire to do good. What is good? But I cannot carry it out. For, and he goes on. He, he's almost done. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. There's our word. But the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now this should make you feel better. <laughs> this guy wrote half of the New Testament. So if you could relate to this, it's like, okay, here's somebody in the, in the Bible I can relate to. I don't know about Jesus. He, he's like the Son of God. But here's, here's the, a guy who's like both feet planted firmly on the ground and here's a guy I can relate to. And what's his point? His point is this. And this is what we're talking about today. That we naturally want and we all basically share the same naturally wants. What we naturally want is often in conflict with what we ultimately want. Right? That what we naturally want... I want right now. What I naturally want is often, in fact, it's almost in conflict with what we ultimately want. And what we ultimately want is what I want to help you understand is what you really, really, really want. That, that valuable, what's of value is, is unnatural. 
And the truth is, and, and you know this, we've all gotten what we naturally wanted, and we ended up with the very thing we didn't ultimately want. Because you know what? When it comes to your nature, nature knows nothing of fairness. Nature knew nothing of compassion. If you want to know what your human nature is really like, just look at nature. And you say, well, nature's, nature's beautiful. And nature is only beautiful from a distance. When you get super close to most of nature, it's, it's dangerous and, 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 and harmful. And I... I I was watching some video, I, I, it was on TV, I think, on the news, about these elk that actually had, had attacked these people just sitting there. Yeah. And, and, and here's what you'll find in nature. And there's no forgiveness in nature. There's no generosity in nature. There's no compassion in nature. There's no grace in nature. And the nature that we see around us and the nature we see in the, in the animal kingdom is part of who we are as human beings. That human nature, or, or human naturally in other words, just go with your human in, inclinations. And here's what it looks like if you need a list. It's cheating, it's lying, it's racism, adultery, me first, revenge. I mean, I mean, you embrace nature, and this is what you'll look like after a while. And we look at all six of those things and say, yeah, that's, that's a good way to undermine your own future. That's a good way to undermine your own career, and it's a good way to undermine your own academic future and hopes and inspirations. Paul, who said to us, hey, I can't do what I want to do. In another letter he wrote to some... Christians living in the province of Galatia in the New Testament. It's called the book of Galatians. Wow. Galatia? Galatia. But it's just a letter to a group of Christians living in this Roman province of, of Galatia. Here's what he says, and maybe you've heard this before. He says, when you follow, and this is what we're talking about, when you follow the desires of you. And he calls it sinful nature. Now, if you don't like the word sinful, you can take that out for now because it's just your nature. It goes to the same place. But Christians believe because the New Testament teaches and Jesus talks about it and the Apostle Paul elaborated on it, that our nature is broken and there's something wrong with you, there's something wrong with me. That just isn't... It isn't just information and discipline. There's something fundamentally broken. And I, I, I know you resist it. And we resist that. But it's just not so polite to say. But all you need to do to prove it is to think about if you ever do what you don't want to do, and you don't know why you do what you do, the answer is yes. Is because something is fundamentally broken. So the New Testament author, Apostle Paul, doesn't mind talking about not just human nature, but our sinful human nature. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. In other words, he's saying, I don't even need to tell you what they are. You already know. In other words, I could put a big board up here or I could put it on the screen and what are some of the results of our broken, fallen human nature? And you'd be throwing out words. And I would just put a list of words up here and we'd go, yeah, that's me. Oh, that's her for sure. Yeah, that's, that's them. They're certainly my kids. I know people like that. Yeah, I got some of that in me. We, we all know what we're tempted to do. You know, sometimes and I'm just as guilty. Sometimes I'm sitting with my wife and I hear something and I'm going, it's like, 
You. <laughs> Don't say that. But anyway, we know what, yeah, you know, we know what we're tempted to do. But, but he gives us this list. Paul does, anyway. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. And two words that we don't talk much about. And that's, that's idolatry and sorcery. Do you know what idolatry is? Idolatry is basically putting things before people. Don't touch that. Don't go over there. Oh, don't, don't walk on that. Don't walk there. Or, can I borrow your... No, you can't borrow whatever. Because I worship this one. Now, I have two. And this other one barely works, so you can borrow that one. But this one is my prized one, okay? Kids, don't you touch that. But after a while, all of us, all of us are guilty, guilty of putting things before people. That's what idolatry is. Sorcery, you know what that is? Well, you probably go, I I don't do that. I don't do sorcery. Sorcery is just trying to control people. That's what sorcerers do. That's what wizards do. That's what magic is. Magic, magic, there's something I can do or get somebody to do for me that will control the outcome of your behavior. There's hostility, quarreling, jealousy, the comparison trap, celebrating when other people have a setback. Woohoo! Look what happened to them. Is this not like the ugliest thing on the planet? All of the yuck and the junk in me, and, and this is the thing I hate the most. You'll get news about somebody that you really like. Maybe maybe somebody you admire. And it's some bad news. They had, a, they had a financial setback or their kid didn't get to their stretch school or their child lost a scholarship. And without ever thinking about it, and there's no decision, there's no will involved at all, the first thing you feel is, yes. And you think, oh my gosh, where did that come from? That's ugly. It is ugly. You know where it is? It's in you. It's in me. To celebrate over some... I mean, you had a friend are always in shape and the next time you see them, they put on a few pounds and, and you're happy. You're happy. And what does that, that have to do with you? Nothing. How does that make you a better person? It doesn't. But you're just kind of happy to see that they're kind of struggling with a few extra. What is that? You know what that is? You can say whatever you want. You can come up with your own definition of that. You can't deny it's true, but the New Testament writers say that's a sin in you. It's a sin in me. That's that's our broken human nature. Outburst of anger. It's almost over. Outburst, I'm hungry. Outburst of anger. And if you got a temper, Selfish ambition, you just got to have your ways, you just got to have your way. You always got to be right. You got to have the last word. No, I don't. <laughs> dissension. That's a word we don't use much anymore. Dissensions, division, envy, and drunkenness. I mean, come on. All of us are a relationship or two away. A family member or two away from somebody and say, it's not what I want. I don't know why I do what I do, but it's destroying my family. It's destroying my finances. It's destroying my career. It's destroying my prospects for the future. But you know what? Before we pile on, all of these things have potential to do the same thing. And I know you're good, I know you're good people, but they all come naturally. In fact, the odds are one or more of these things have kept some of you and in fact have kept most of, most of us from getting what we ultimately, ultimately want. It's a big deal, isn't it? This isn't just, hey, here's a sermon, get some information and kind of move on. No. 
No matter what you know and how disciplined you are, it's a daily, daily battle. But I'm here to tell you, here's why we're talking about this for a few weeks, and this is a battle you can win. This is, this is, there is a way to embrace valuable over natural. There's a way to get what you really and truly want, what you were created for, what you were designed for. Now, the last passage I want to look at, and then we'll wrap this up. And last week, I told you about James. You remember James, the brother of Jesus. How cool is that? We have something written by the brother of, of Jesus. And we looked at some things he wrote last week, and I, I want to wrap up the Scripture part of the message by looking at another thing that James said. And the reason I want to go back to James is, is because James gives us a word picture that really helps me. Let's put it in perspective. Maybe this is gritty enough and earthy enough to, to where maybe, maybe this is terminology you can use or begin to use as you think about your own battle and your own struggle. And here's what James says, and this is so powerful. But each person, by the way, that's all of us. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away. And I want to say, to say, to I want us to all say, dragged away together if we can. I'm going to read the whole verse, and then when we get to dragged away, because of this imagery that, I, that I, we just went right past, and we don't think about it because very few of us have ever been dragged away from anything as an adult. So here we go. Let's read it out loud. Just the dragged away part. But each person, that's you, is tempted when they are dragged away. And this is so visual. This is a picture of somebody that's trying to do the right thing and they're trying to engage the right way. They're trying to respond the right way and they're trying to develop a good habit and they're really trying to embrace value and they're trying to embrace what is really, really, really important and what they really want and sometimes something comes along and drags them away. That's the battle. That's where we all live. That's the struggle. That's the valuable versus natural. They're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That is, they knew what they wanted, but they were dragged away. Then he came along and dragged me away, and then she came along, and I let her drag me away. And this opportunity came along, and it dragged me away, and then I got too busy at work, and it dragged me away. Then that old habit raised its ugly head and it dragged me away. And he says, then, after desire, this imagery is so powerful. Then after desire was, has conceived, then after desire is conceived, it gives birth. Then after desire grows and conceives, it gives birth to sin. After desire and 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 grows and conceives, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And that is sin, ultimately, it kills stuff. Sin ultimately undermines the future. Sin ultimately undermines the way we see ourselves, to where we come to the place where we say, you know what? I do not know why I do what I do. I do not know why, why I do what I do. I, I'm, I'm starting to hate myself. And then James ends where I want to end today. He looks out across the audience that he's writing and he's imagining these people and the people he'll never meet and the, and the children he'll never meet and the places this letter's going to go that he can't imagine. I mean, it's 2,000 years ago. And he's sitting somewhere with a candle or a lamp or maybe an LED. <laughs> Or maybe sitting outside, he's writing this. And here we are, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, we're reading it. To me, that's staggering. But he had a general audience in mind, it's so applicable to us today. And we were talking about it in, in Sunday school, how, it, how it, it still means something. And he ends this by saying, don't be deceived. 
And I love this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. You know why it says this? Because he knows how easily deceived we are. Chase a little rabbit. How many scams are out in the world right now and people are falling for it? We are easily deceived, my brothers and sisters. And you know why he says it? Because he knows that. He knows how easily distracted we are with what we want and we forget what we ultimately want. And what we really want, it's like he's reaching across 2,000 years of human nature and he's grabbing each of us by the collar and saying, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Come on. Don't be deceived. Don't trade ultimate for immediate. Don't trade ultimately want for natural one. He's saying, look at me, look at me. Don't be deceived, men and women who are traveling. Don't be deceived, men and women struggling in your marriage, starting to look around, something starting to drag you away. He's going, don't be deceived. Don't trade ultimate for immediate. Do not trade valuable for natural. Do not... Because nothing is going to help you. This is between you and your Heavenly Father. And this is up to you. Don't be deceived. I want you to know that nothing, nothing, nothing breaks my heart. And you may feel the same way. And, I, and I'm not elevating myself. It's just me. Nothing breaks my heart more than men and women, students and children, high school students and college age students making decisions that undermine their own future. That simply do what they, they don't want to do that keeps them from getting where they want to be. Breaks my heart, and here in part of it's this. Because there's enough things in life we have no control over. I mean, there's going to be bad stuff, enough bad stuff that, that we have no control over. There are going to be things that make it very difficult for you in your marriage that you have no control over and very difficult for you to graduate, but you've got no control over it. There's no control over things that may happen at your work. And there's plenty of things in, in, in life that we have no control over. So why in the world would we undermine our own future by opting for what comes natural over what we ultimately value? When I see people do that, I, I, I just think that breaks my heart. This really is what drives me, and it's why I say all the time, and I believe with my heart, whether you're a Christian or not, Following Jesus will make your life better. And it'll make you better at life because Jesus will point you to ultimate and point you to past immediate. And Jesus is going to point you to valuable, not simply natural. And this is, this is why I thought even if even if you're not even sure what 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 if the whole Jesus is the son of god thing just take a baby step just begin to do it jesus invited every single person in the first century to do just follow me just follow me. And the other thing that lights me up about this is I just want to get in front of everybody who's walked away from church or has turned their backs on Christianity and say, look, you don't understand. Christianity is not some kind of buzzkill. Are you kidding me? Christianity is God the Father and God the Father stepping into human history to point us to something beyond our broken intuition and our misguided inclination. It's the best thing. It's the best of best things. And yeah, we believe in heaven, and yeah, we believe in eternity, but along that, 
following Jesus, following Jesus will make your life And I want to make sure I'm not misunderstood. I need you to understand I'm certainly not immune. It's not like I'm the master teacher who's got all this worked out. So I just like to run around and tell everybody else how to live their lives. To use James' imagery, to use his words, every day, every day of my life, just like every day of your life, every single day, I have to resist being dragged away. But as many of you know, it's worth the battle. It's worth the price that's paid. It's worth it to fix our eyes on something that goes beyond what we want in the here and now. So what do you really, really want? What is important to you? And and you keep being dragged away from what you actually want and by what you naturally want. So here's what I want you to do. Between now and the next time we get together, I would love for you to take a few minutes and answer three questions. And here are the questions. And the first one you've guessed. What do you really want? And that's it. Now you say, well, well, I want, I want a Ford F-150. Actually, I want a Raptor. You know, I didn't see a Raptor until I, I, uh, I saw it on TV. And then I looked on the website, $54,000 starting price. I'm going, that's almost the cost of our house. But they want a big garage to park it in. And if that's what they really want, they can have it. I hope they get one. I hope they get three of them. I mean, if that's the case, I'd like them to give me a ride so I can see what it's like. But why is that what you want? Come on. What do you really want? Well, if I could just get married. Marriage is an awesome thing. But what do you really want? What do you really want? And the second question is, what keeps dragging you away? Because you've got to get it fixed in your mind. You hear a message like this, you read a book, or somebody sits down, tells their story, and it kind of clears your head, and you get, oh, it's like, you know what, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I need to readjust. I need to make some changes. Come on. What keeps dragging you away? Let me say something about this question, okay? This is just between you and me or you and God or whatever. And this is the time to be honest. This is the question you won't answer honestly to your parents, perhaps. And this is a question you won't answer honestly to your husband or to your wife because your wife keeps saying, you know, honey, I really think you need to get rid of this because this is really hurting you. Or... You say that to your wife. You know, you got 25 reasons it's not hurting you, so why are you telling me that? Uh, Or you're saying to her, you know what, I really think you need to sell this because I really think you need to to watch this. or, or, Or you got 25 reasons why it's not a problem. So this isn't between and anybody but you. Come on, here's the time to be honest. What keeps reaching up and dragging you away? Third question. It's a very strange question, and I'll own that. How long? How long? Or how much longer? How long do I plan to let what I, I naturally want drag me away from my, what I ultimately want? How much longer? Another season in your life? Another five years? Another three years? Another ten years? Another marriage? You're going to wait till your kids are gone? I get this. Well, I'm just going to let it keep dragging me away until, until I get married. 
Then once I get married, it's going to be different. And all the people that, that are married, they go, no, it isn't. You know, I do. I, I do doesn't mean you can. I do means you will. I do doesn't mean you're prepared for anything other than what you're currently doing. So how long? Come on, how long do you plan to let what you naturally want drag you away from what you ultimately want? And I want you to sit down and answer those questions and come back next week and we'll pick it up right there. I know we're running late. But I think this, these series of sermons are so important to us all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for preserving these words. What we all have in common is we do things we really, we don't really know why we do that what we do, but, and we were there the whole time we did it. We confess, we admit we're broken. There's something wrong with this, Lord. And Father, those of us who believe there's a God who's invited us to call him Father, and we believe that you sent your sons to address that brokenness. Thank you. So give us the wisdom to see. Give us the ears to hear. And give us courage to do what needs to be done. And I pray that this week, Father, and as we ask these questions, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart. That we would discover things maybe, maybe we've never discovered before. And that you would change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our, uh, our computer person is gone. And so we're not going to sing our song. Thanks for being here, and I will, I'll see you next week. For part three. Part three. We got, we got lunch. Let's eat. Unless it's burnt. It better not be. It's your fault. <laughs> I know, I like well, I thought I saw something boiling on the stove earlier. Oh, really? Because it was boiling out there before I even started my sermon. Are you leaving? You don't like beans and ham? <laughs> oh, but she doesn't like beans and ham. She loves ham and beans. My best friend during high school. I'm meeting with her. Oh, good. Cool. Good. Have a good one.